0: Today, the New Testament text from the Gospel of Luke recounts the story of Jesus' homecoming, his his return to his own home congregation in Nazareth. You know, back then, synagogue services were relatively simple affairs. Uh, They gathered for prayers. They had scripture readings. A member of the congregation would comment or be invited to give a a short message on the scripture. They did not have any professional clergy. And then at the end of the service, uh, they would have something like what our youth are inviting us to do today, and that is to give alms to the poor. Before I read Jesus' sermon in its entirety, and I know you're rolling your eyes as you hear that, I think it only proper to read the biblical text upon which he spoke. It was Isaiah 61, and Luke sets it up this way. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place... Where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the scripture. Now, here is the sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. End of sermon. His, not mine. Don't get your hopes up. The last part of our scripture reading today contains the congregation's reaction to Jesus' sermon. All spoke well of him, Luke says, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, The Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill upon which the town had been built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked through the midst of them, unharmed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know I was thinking it's kind of a hard act to follow the last person the last preacher who spoke from this pulpit. Do you remember who that was? The eloquence of Cheryl Sapora combined with the unrepeatable moment of Andy Clark's farewell to produce a powerful effect and affect such that no mortal this side of Kansas City could match it. (laughs) Nonetheless, here I am, and there is Lois, right? You back there, Lois? Okay. And it makes me wonder about how Jesus might have felt when he went to his hometown that first time and was asked to speak, to go public as it were, and he led the worship service, filled a place filled with his friends, people that knew him from childhood, neighbors, extended family. They had heard reports about his marvelous teaching, his displays of power in other places, even in a place like Capernaum, where a large percentage of the population was Gentiles. And, well, you know, it's, it was that part of Galilee where you wouldn't want to be caught driving your chariot at night. But now Jesus is home. He, he chooses to read Isaiah 61, part of a message of hope and guidance for a people rebuilding their city and their society. And you can immediately tell that he didn't go to the seminary because he preaches the world's shortest sermon, eight words. And you think, when those eight words, he just insulted everybody's mother. The admiring, somewhat quizzical congregation becomes a lynch mob, or more accurately, a stoning mob. They didn't have enough rocks to throw at him to kill him. So they tried to throw him against the stones, that is, to throw him off the cliff, which just goes to show that you can never predict how a sermon is going to be heard. Reminds me of yesterday. Yesterday, I spent all day watching basketball games. I watched the Jacksonville University tilt against Florida Gulf Coast University a battle for first place in the A-Sun. And then I went on to uh, watch a game between probably the two best high school teams in the city, Arlington Country Day and Providence. But it started out early in the morning watching first and second grade girls tear up and down the court, giving it their all in our own Riverside League. There was one constant from morning to night The passion of the players, actually two constants. The passion of the players was the first, and the second was that all the onlookers and fans were convinced that the officials were blind. If you put a whistle around your neck, you can be assured you're going to infuriate someone. It's the only thing that's more dangerous than preaching. Just try it. Like a blind official, Jesus succeeded with a sermon of but a few words and a couple of pointed proverbs to enrage his own community to the point of attempted murder. What makes this really sticky for us is that according to every New Testament scholar that I've found, this Isaiah text was Jesus' inaugural speech. It was the keynote to his three-year administration. These few verses are definitive for Jesus' identity, his purpose, and for the mission of all who would be his followers. And so I thought in the interest of full disclosure, like those pharmaceutical commercials we see on TV around evening time, that we probably ought to come clean with our new members and with Lois about some of the things that we are committed to here at Riverside. Things that we believe Jesus is calling us to do. At Riverside, we love evangelism. We do. We love the good news for the poor, for captives, For the oppressed. The favorable year of the Lord. Amnesty. Forgiving of our own debts as we forgive the debts of others. It's it's an evangelistic faith. A good news faith. Everyone here is called to be an evangelist. A bearer of the good news. And so in joining this church... We hope that you will want to learn, as we are still learning, how to broadcast, how to be together, good news. It was for Jesus' fellow Nazarenes, so it is for us that the familiarity that we have with Jesus is a problem for us. We struggle with what to make of Joseph's son here at Riverside, especially when he starts pushing our buttons in economics and politics, when he starts to confront the, de- the demonic in our society, or comes up out of his grave. Our familiarity sometimes leads us to domesticate his message and his mission but he will not let us have a a partial Jesus. It seems odd, you know, in our culture that when you join a church, the first thing we do is ask if you will assent to a certain body of organized doctrines. This holds true if you are considering changing churches or if you are having a crisis of faith. If you are no longer comfortable being a Catholic, you look about for a church that teaches divorce is acceptable. If you no longer want to be a fundamentalist, you find a church that teaches that the Bible is not literally true. You find out what a group teaches, you wrestle with its ideas. Joining depends on whether or not you agree with its creed, the statement of faith or doctrine. There is something strange about this pattern though. No other organization really does it this way. Imagine if you were going to join a bowling team. Does anyone go to join join a bowling team and ask what the team members believe about bowling and what they hold true about the bowling ball? Do people ask for a doctrinal statement on bowling? Or are you required to read a book about the history of bowling or the theory of bowling? If so, you'd likely never pick up a ball. If you want to join a bowling team, you find someone who can teach you. You go to a local bowling alley and you find out where and when a team gets together and who's open. And you you find a circle of people who will talk to you and welcome you and show you how. They share their patterns and their, their wisdom with you about bowling. The first step in becoming a bowler is to form a relationship with other bowlers. The next step is to learn by doing and practicing, maybe failing a few gutter balls, but after a while you, you begin to pick up some of, the, some of the skills and wisdom of the group. In the process of joining a bowling team, it's almost the reverse of joining a church. Belonging to a bowling team leads to behaving as a bowler, which leads to maybe some convictions or wisdom about bowling. Relationships lead to craft, which leads to belief, says Diana Butler Bass. Just the opposite of how often we do things in the church. Jesus had a big idea. And you need to be aware that we are kind of excited about this idea. Well, at least some of the time. The grace of God is for outsiders. That's what Jesus said that really enraged his own community. It's not something we've completely bought into. The head of the Human Rights Watch, Kenneth Ross, said, of all the features of post-Cold War world, the most consistently troubling are turning out to be the tribal hatreds that divide humankind by race and faith and nationality. We here at Riverside are not necessarily early adopters of inclusive mercy and open borders, but we are trying. We are trying, and we know at some level we were once the undeserving, the foreigner, the enemy of God, and we have been brought near. The author Alice Walker introduces a short story, The Welcome Table, with a line from a spiritual, I'm going to sit at the welcome table, shout my troubles over, walk and talk with Jesus. We are driven to celebrate diversity here by the reality that nothing else really works. Every other approach leads to injustice or intolerance or tragedy. But more than such pragmatic considerations, we know that we must follow Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the head of the church, the one who leads us into a brand new era, a new era for you who are new members, for our new music and choir director, for all of us, something Jesus called the kingdom of God, and he tied it to the jubilee, a hope for the least of these among us. Wendell Berry wrote a poem. I'll just quote the last piece of it. He, He wrote, The abundance of this place, the songs of its people and its birds, will be health and wisdom and indwelling light, this is no paradisal dream. Its hardship is its possibility. Jesus said, today, now, here, it is. Amen and welcome.